0: Good evening, everyone. You have completed your third day on retreat. It's really sweet for Grove and I to get to know you some in the uh, group interviews we've been having, and also just seeing you here again and again and up in the hill. Just seeing you relax and kind of become a a community, become a sangha of sorts. And hear about your adventures in the mind. It's a real privilege to be up here with you. So this evening... um, Just some various pieces from my files, some poetry that uh, has touched me. Most of what I will offer tonight is related in some way to your practice here, has some relevance to the Dharma. All matters of life and death. In Zen they call it the great matter So I'll start with a uh, little piece from Kurt Vonnegut Jr., Cat's Cradle. God made mud. Then God got lonesome. So God said to some of the mud, Sit up. See all I've made, said God? The hills, the sea, the sky, the stars. And I, I was some of the mud that got to sit up and look around. Lucky me, lucky mud. I sat up and saw what a nice job God had done. Nice going, God, I said. Nobody but you could have done it. I certainly couldn't have. Just think of all the mud that didn't even get to sit up and look around. I got so much and most mud got so little. Gratitude. Lucky mud. My daughter and I play a gratitude game. Uh, We we sometimes try to come up with reasons to be grateful any particular time when, usually especially when we're having a hard time. And I give gratitude regularly for living in an interglacial period. Uh, I give gratitude for gravity. Because without gravity, where would we be? Nobody knows, so the Dalai Lama was just uh, just turned eighty, and they gave a, a party for him, and somebody wrote down a few of the things he said at this party when he when he talked to people. He said, "If you think you are too small to make a difference." Try sleeping in a room with a mosquito. (laughs) He also said, Know the rules well so you can break them effectively. (laughs) And he also said, Compassion is the radicalism of our time. Beautiful statement between the Dalai Lama and the Pope, you'd think we'd have a, a better world, you know, if those two, with those two around. <clears throat> so a lot of the things I want to share with you tonight are, are things like that, uh, pieces of information that have touched and moved me. This one moved me quite a bit. The number of clowns in the world is down. According to New Science magazine, New Scientist magazine. So, it, you know, science. The number of clowns in the world is down from 35 to 20,000. I think that's serious. <laughs> Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> The year 2000, the average American attention span was 12 seconds. In 2013, the same study was done, the attention span was down to eight seconds. The attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds. (laughs) I said something about this today about how we don't really accept the first noble truth uh, here in in America. We really don't get it. And it was such a, a foundation of what the Buddha taught. He knew it was difficult to understand on the level that he was talking About And that the level upon which he understood dukkha or unsatisfactoriness It when you think about it, however uh, It becomes so clear and obvious That life is a continual uh, procession of of need of uh, Desire and need. Hunger. And this is the Buddha. It is difficult to shoot from a distance, arrow after arrow, through a narrow keyhole and miss not once. It is more difficult to shoot and penetrate with the tip of a hair. Split a hundred times, a piece of hair similarly split it is still more difficult to penetrate to the fact that all of this is Dukkha. The Buddha said, the truth of Dukkha must be explored to its end. Impermanence means there is no place to settle, there is no lasting satisfaction, there is no time at which the hunger, desire, the need is finally resolved. At least not until death, as far as we know, and some would believe after death as well. So much of what the Buddha taught, and if you read the scriptures, you you begin to see it clearly, what he was attempting to do was to become a non-returner, To get off the wheel. To stop this round of hunger and need and unsatisfactoriness. It's really hard for us to think of that. We're so devoted to, we're we're such humanists. We've been, you know, born and raised and educated to, to really value life. And I don't think the Buddha was saying you don't value life. In fact, he was saying that human life is very valuable because you can understand the depth of dukkha and and uh, the suffering that, it, that it comes from incarnation. But uh, it's really hard for us to accept. It's actually a great step towards... Uh, liberation. This is Joseph Campbell. The first step to understanding life is the recognition of the monstrous nature of the earthly realm, as well as its glory. The realization that this is just how it is, and it cannot be changed. Those who think they know how the universe should have been, had they created it, without pain, without sorrow, without death, are unfit for illumination. If you really want to help this world, what you will have to teach is how to live in it as it is, with the joyful sorrow and the sorrowful joy of how it is. But then the Buddha taught how to live with joy, delight, in spite of it all, in spite of the conditions, in spite of the laws of nature. The king of Kosala came to the Buddha. And described his followers as quote, joyful and elated, jubilant and exultant, enjoying the spiritual life with faculties pleased, free from anxiety, serene light hearted, peaceful, living with a gazelle's mind, living with a gazelle 's mind. can you just picture that just to When asked why his disciples were so happy, the Buddha replied, They do not repent the past, nor do they brood over the future. They live in the present. Therefore, they are radiant. Hmm. Here's a piece of doggerel that I wrote maybe 40 years ago doing one of my first retreats, long retreats at IMS in Massachusetts. It's called Ode to Miss Mindfulness. Miss Mindfulness. From the moment her eyes met mine, I knew that I was lost. I could see that if I loved her, she would destroy me. And yet with her, I can be just who I am. She accepts me that way. In the early morning and late at night, we're alone together. Usually our dates last about an hour. Me gazing at her, gazing at me. And even though she claims to love me, Ms. Mindfulness displays nothing but cool detachment. Sometimes I wish she would snap out of it. I grow frustrated with her lack of attitude and decide I want to go live it up have big emotions, dance and be wild, play the edges of my obsessions and fantasies. If I have to suffer for it, I will make that bargain. Just let me go, lover. (laughs) But in the end, I always come back to her sweet and easy ways and that sly little smile of understanding. I sink into her love like a comfortable old couch. A cool breeze flows across my brow and I say to her, Miss Mindfulness, please be mine forever. Oops. I mean, at least be nine for mine for now. <laughs> Ode to Mindfulness. Available now. in. <laughs> it's in this new book that was published about six weeks ago. Your body is composed of an estimated hundred trillion cells. Inside each cell, 4,000 events take place every second. Proteins are made, chemicals exchanged, messages processed. So there are literally quadrillions of events happening inside of you every second. Stay mindful. That was supposed to be a joke. It didn't, <laughs> didn't quite, <laughs> didn't quite come off, did it?
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> no. From a conversation uh, I had with Ramdas for the Inquiring Mind, which, which I used to edit, a journal of Buddhist uh, thought that I used to edit. Uh, He was 82, and uh, I asked him if there was any nugget of wisdom that he could impart to younger generations. He said, make friends with change. That's the main thing. In older years, there's lots of change in your body, in your memory, in your friends, family, change in culture. And he sat there for a moment before he said, wow. Wow. And then he continued, you might as well be ready for it. And then comes the big change at death. He said, at the beginning of aging, I thought it was kind of fun, but now I have second thoughts. (laughs) I had a stroke which kept me away from outside things. I would grab like my sports car, my cello, my golf clubs. Then I had to move inward, and inward was where I found the love, excitement, and joy I craved. So I now treat the stroke as grace from my guru. It's a stroke of grace. Hmm. That was once one of my favorite lines that came from, I don't know where. I don't take credit for any of my lines. I enjoy them, but... Uh, if I took credit for them, then I'd have to take responsibility for the bad ones.
1: <laughs> anyway,
0: we were talking about how a breath was going on inside of us without any effort on our part, the blood was pumping, the thoughts were coming, that, you know, that how little re- we really do in, or, or consciously do in our life. And I said, yeah. I'm not the doer, I'm the dude. <laughs> I thought that was kind of fun. In case you haven't noticed, both Grove and I are very interested in evolution and uh, what, what is the spiritual message of evolution, what does it tell us? How can we use it in in a way to uh, enhance our lives, become more joyous, become more careful in how we live and how we treat the world? Here's a couple things. This first is from Charles Darwin. The last paragraph of his book, On the Origin of Species. There is a simple grandeur in this view of life, with its powers of growth, assimilation, and reproduction being originally breathed into matter under one or a few forms. And while this our planet has gone circling on, according to fixed laws, and land and water in a cycle of changes have gone on replacing each other from so simple an origin through the process of gradual selection of infinitesimal changes endless forms most beautiful and wonderful have been evolved through the process of gradual selection of infinitesimal changes endless forms most beautiful and wonderful, have been evolved. This is geologist Colin Tudge. I suggest that once you become aware of the idea of evolution, once you begin to feel that things do change through time, then your perception of everything around you is enhanced. Another dimension is added to your view of the world, and that is the fourth dimension, time. You begin to perceive that an animal or a plant and the lineage to which it belongs and the planet itself are like a flame, not so much a thing as a performance, always becoming something else, and that each of us and our species as a whole are part of the overall unfolding." The average life of a mammalian species is about four million years. Do we think the world was, the universe was all made for us? We have come to believe that for the most part, that it's all about us. And yet we are a temporary part of this ongoing, ever-changing evolving life on this planet. I mean, our attachment to the self extends into attachment for the species and for life, attachment to life on this planet, continuing in his book, Timescale, scientist Nigel Calder, really good, great science writer, says, the master of the planet is grass. It has lured humans into being its slaves. (laughs) Clearing trees and plants out of the way, made irrigation to ensure that the grasses grew tall, especially wheat, rice, and maize, have recruited battalions of both four-legged and two-legged animals, to serve them. And Heathcote Heathcote Williams writes, If an alien were to hover a few hundred yards above the planet, it could be forgiven for thinking that cars were the dominant life form (laughs) and that human beings were a kind of ambulatory fuel cell. Injected when the car wished to move off and ejected when they were apart. It's <laughs> from a piece called, that he wrote called "Otto Geddon.". Where are humans in the scheme of things, in the realm of beings? In spite of our impact on the Earth's life and uh, ecosystems, probably equal to uh, the effects of a comet collision or an ice age, we still don't rank as the most important species of life in biological history. Cambridge biohistorian Christopher Lloyd wrote a book called What on Earth Evolved? And he positioned 100 species according to their impact on evolution. And lo and behold, humans came up as number six behind earthworms, algae, cyanobacteria, rhizobia, and lactobacillus. (laughs) We will have to work hard to make as significant a contribution as the earthworms, (laughs) who fixed the soil with nitrogen and made it possible for the plant kingdom to flourish. That was something. That was really something. Are we having fun yet? (laughs) I wanted to read a few of Zen Master Dogen's 300 koans. Zen Master Dogen was a great, great poet realized being, I think, 1400s, 1500s? 1200. 1200. He... He tossed out some one-liners that, you know, you could spend a lifetime with. There's a few of my favorites. In your arriving, not an atom is added. Thus life is called the unborn. In your departing, not an atom is lost. Thus death is called the unextinguished. Don't be fat-headed. The limits of the knowable are unknowable. How much rain does it take before the great ocean is full? Don't be deluded by the words, the great way. Realize that it is nothing other than what you do from morning to night. The whole universe is the gate of liberation. Don't you see? There is no place to put this gigantic body. I sometimes think we don't really see what we're doing here in context, especially not in a cultural context, and uh, realize that one of the causes of our suffering, one of the reasons for our confusion One of the reasons for our seeking and our searching is because things have changed so radically in the last 100 years or so. Our tools, our understanding, our styles of living. Henry Ford built his first car In 1893 Now there's something like 800 million cars On the planet The Wright brothers Made the first flight in 1903 1900 the first Human speech Was transmitted, transmitted Via radio waves 1900 Max Planck first Formulated the quantum theory Which led to the creation of Atomic bomb and a cle- complete transformation of our understanding of reality. In 1900, Freud published The Interpretation of Dreams. In 1900, only one and a half billion people lived on Earth. I think, you know, I think the people who wrote the Bible got God's message wrong. It wasn't go forth and multiply. It was go forth and add. <laughs> Afraid so. 100 years ago, no cars, no airplanes, no radio, no television, no computers, no painkillers, no antibiotics, no birth control, no Ziploc bags, no plastic. Nobody believed in rock and roll. 100 years ago. 100 years ago. I mean, I think of my father who was, and I think probably most of our relatives a couple generations back, or or even the last generation, many of them were peasants, basically, living in rural areas. Uh, my father comes from Poland, and uh, they had to sneak out of the country, uh, out of Europe, and lived on potato peels for half a year with his, his mother and five siblings. and We used to sit around our little formica table in Norfolk, Nebraska, and my mother would be serving up a, a fine uh, casserole, you know, mac and cheese and maybe a little meat. And my father would say, we live like kings here. The kind of life that he was living was so rich compared to where where he was, let alone his feeling of security, that he wasn't going to get clubbed by a Cossack as he was going to bed. How did they end up in Nebraska, <laughs> I've always wondered. <laughs> Love of corn, what can I say? <laughs> No, there were, there were a, a, there's a whole little society of wandering Jewish people who, who came to the Midwest and to, to the major cities, you know, Chicago and Minneapolis, and then just started, uh, you know, little businesses in, in surrounding towns. And <coughs> I was taught my bar mitzvah lessons by a circuit rabbi. Came through town every couple of weeks on the Greyhound bus. His name was Rabbi Falik. <laughs> Kid you not? How did that work out? Well, that may be one reason why he didn't have his own congregation. <laughs> But you know, I know we take it for granted and and it's common to be it's it's what happens to human beings, but we live in such richness and uh, you know our foods and our comforts and our medical attention and in eighteen hundred the average human lifespan, the expected human lifespan was forty five years. We've nearly doubled the expected life. So you get twice as long to be yourself. If you if you like that. But this is Mahatma Gandhi I do not believe that a multiplication of wants and machinery contrived to supply them is taking the world a single step nearer to its goal. I wholeheartedly detest this mad desire to destroy distance and time, to increase animal appetites and go to the ends of the earth in search of their satisfaction. If modern civilization stands for all this, and I have understood it to do so, I call it satanic. so a while ago I took a vow, and I've kept it for the most part at times I've I've fallen uh, out of the the stream but um, and that is to talk about endangered species whenever I speak public publicly A recent study by the International Union for Conservation of Nature found that the following percentage of species are threatened with with extinction. 21% of all known mammals, 30% of amphibians, 35% of invertebrates, 70% of plants. We lose 27,000 species each year, 74 every day, 3 an hour. The statistics become much more alive when we hear the names of those disappearing such as the Sierra Nevada red fox, the San Joaquin kit fox, a Pacific pocket mouse, a riparian brush rabbit, Fresno kangaroo rat, and then there are the big ones, the California bighorn sheep, the stellar sea lion, the sperm whale, the right whale, the humpback and blue whales, all on the endangered lists. And let us now praise famous birds, the California condor, the greater sandhill crane, the bald eagle, the great gray owl, the marbled murrelet, the common bank swallow, all disappearing. And what about the plant kingdom, filled with beings whose very names evoke tastes, smells, beautiful sights, Mount Gleason paintbrush, succulent owl's clover, Mariposa Lily, Crystal Springs Fountain Thistle, Owens Valley Checker Bloom, Slender Orcut Grass, all are listed as endangered. How could this be happening? Is this what nature wants? And why have we been chosen as the agents of this Holocaust? Is it a retribution for our species' arrogance? It's interesting to reflect that for most of our history, we've been busy protecting ourselves from nature. And now we're being called on to protect nature from us. But in fact, we are nature. And that's exactly the shift of consciousness that we need in order to begin to heal our relationship to the planet. It's starting. I take hope in the fact that I never heard the word ecology until 1970. I don't think it was in use until 1970. Uh, The first uh, UN conference on environmental issues was 1970. We're just waking up to what we're doing, what the impact of our, our world and our lives are. So I, th- I, think, well, I try to think of that and, and as a hopeful sign. We are waking up. My friend and sometimes teaching cohort, Joanna Macy, says, there's no technological fix, no magic bullet that can save us from the population explosion and deforestation and climate disruption, etc. We're going to have to want different things. Seek different pleasures. Pursue different goals than those that have been driving us and our global economy. I think that's part of what we're doing here, is finding different pleasures, different sources of satisfaction. We suffer from nature deficit disorder. Put another way. I don't know. I may not be able to make it through this one. Can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite poet, aside from Mary Oliver and Rumi and Hafiz <laughs> and Yeats, and <laughs> Hafiz says oh wondrous humans by what strange miracle do you so often not smile so this is a, a few poems from Kobayashi Issa Regarding the endangered species that I just read He uh, lived in the Late 1700s, early 1800s And he had a tragic life His mother died when he was two He had three children who all died be- before him And his uh, house burned down But he kept his lightness And his his poetic powers. He's one of the most best-loved poets in Japan, Kobayashi Isa. And he often wrote his poetry about other species of life, and sometimes he wrote poems to other species of life. So here's some Kobayashi Isa. Even for the emperor, the nightingale sings the same song. Where there are humans, you'll find flies and Buddhas. One human being, one fly in a large room. I just love that that image I'm going out flies relax make love mosquito at my ear does it think I'm deaf don't kill the fly look it's begging you wringing its hands and feet Out from the darkness, back into the darkness, the affairs of the cat. On how to sing, the frog school and the skylark school are arguing. (laughs)
1: Listen
0: to the frogs. All night they talk about sex. Oh, owl, make some other face. It's springtime. (laughs) Don't worry, spiders. I keep house casually. In these latter-day degenerate times, cherry blossoms everywhere. and I think my favorite. This world of ours walking on the roof of hell, gazing at flowers. Beautiful. This Here's a haiku from me. The haiku poets, counting on all their fingers, Too many (laughs) salab. Okay, just a couple more things here. And this should be this we have to show to Anna and Anna and the people downstairs on aging. This is Dr. Zeus, the cat in the hat on aging. You can't see. If you want to see, it's just the cat in the hat (laughs) on aging. I cannot see. I cannot pee. I cannot chew. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot chew. I cannot screw. Oh my God! What can I do? (laughs) My memory shrinks. My hearing stinks. Big. No sense of smell. I look like hell. My mood is bad. Can you tell? My body's drooping. I have trouble pooping. <laughs> the golden years have come at last. The golden years can kiss my ass. <laughs> That's great.
1: That's great.
0: i me show that to them. Okay, finally, a little poem Why I Meditate. I meditate because I suffer. I suffer, therefore I am. I am, therefore I meditate. I meditate because there are way too many other things to do. I meditate because when I was younger it was all the rage. I meditate because of history, because of Siddhartha Gautama, Bodhidharma, Marco Polo, the British Raj, Carl Jung, Alan Watts, Jack Kerouac, Alfred E. Newman, et al. I meditate because evolution gave me a big brain, but it didn't come with an instruction manual. I meditate because I have all the information I need. I meditate because life is too short. Sitting slows it down. I meditate because life is too long. I need an occasional break. I meditate because I want to experience the world as Rumi did or Walt Whitman or as Mary Oliver does. I meditate because now I know that enlightenment doesn't exist so I can relax. I meditate because of the Dalai Lama's laugh. I meditate because there are too many advertisements in my head and I'm erasing all but the very best of them. (laughs) I meditate because the physicists say there may be 11 dimensions to reality. I want to get a peek into a few more of them. Sometimes I meditate because my heart is breaking. Sometimes I meditate so that my heart will break. I meditate because a Vedanta master once told me that my, in Hindi, my name Nisker means non doer. <laughs> I meditate because I'm growing old and want to become more comfortable with emptiness. I meditate because my country spends more on weapons than all the other nations in the world combined. If I had more courage, I'd probably immolate myself. I meditate because I want to discover the fifth Brahma Vihara, the divine abode of awe. And then I'll go down in history as a great spiritual adept. I meditate because I'm composed of a hundred trillion cells. And from time to time, I need to reassure them that we're all in this together. <laughs> Why I meditate. Also available in
1: this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. And would you sign it for us? Of course, of course. Is the haiku in there? No, the haiku are not in there. So. What's the title? You are not your fault, and other
1: revelations.
0: (laughs) The Wit and Wisdom of Wes Kupniska. It's a very thin volume. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had a good time, so I hope you enjoyed the little bits of poetry and information and ideas. Let's just sit for a minute or two before we leave for walk.